Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, Mountain Park, it's great to be with you again, wherever you're watching this or listening to this. Um, welcome. I, my name is Andrew, and I am the lead pastor at Mountain Park, and we're in the middle of a series in the book of Ephesians. We've been kind of plunking through verse by verse. Today, we're hitting a new low or high, depending on how you want to look at it. We're literally breaking down one word. So we are not even going to make it through a whole verse today. We're talking about one word, but one word that is really uh, foundational for our lives uh, as Christians. But more than that, foundational in this time, in this season of the world we live in. And so uh, without further ado, let's jump into Ephesians 4. We're in verse 1, but we're going to break down Uh, one word of that. So let's just jump right into Ephesians 4. Grab your Bible. uh, If you have it, grab your smartphone. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, grab your pen and a ruler even, uh, because we're going to just fly through this stuff. Ephesians 4, verse 1. All right, so this is what Paul is saying. Therefore, and again, the therefore is really important. He's coming out of this prayer, but the therefore is really kind of going all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. So remember last week, we talked about what it means to live worthy of the calling we've received. And that word worthy there is really important. That word worthy literally means weight. And the image that Paul wants us to have and the image that uh, those first century Ephesians would have had was of scales. And really what Paul is saying is live worthy. On one side of the scale, you have doctrine and belief. And on the other side of the scale, you have practice and ethic and life. And what Paul is saying is, look, the scales need to be balanced in your life. It's not just about what you know or what you believe or what you know doctrinally. It's how you live that is equally important. It's how that's expressed in your life. So that word worthy literally means weight, that word to carry the right weight, the weight of what we believe should be evidenced in how we live. So live worthy of the calling that you have received. And then here's what we're gonna break down. Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing, with one another in love. All right, we're going to stop there. With all humility, that's what we're focusing on today. So as Paul leads us into what is the essential nature and character that should define our walk, this is what Paul is saying must be the foundational expression of how we live. That word, all humility. I think what Paul is referencing there is a humility that's not just directed toward God, but a humility that is actually directed and expressed in the context of our relationship with other people. A lot of times, we as Christians, we, we 
uh, we believe that we have humility toward God. And often we would say, you know, God, we humble ourselves before you. God, we recognize that you're God and we're not. We recognize that we're weak and you're strong and we recognize all of these things. But what Paul is saying with the word all humility is the reality that our, our humility, if we have true humility to God, that humility must be expressed toward other people. We can't say that we're walking humbly before God if we're walking in pride and arrogance with other people around us. And we're going to talk a little bit about what humility means from a biblical context. I just recognize this is for all of us such a hard thing to really fully grasp. I just finished reading Andrew Murray's book called Humility, which I mean, I got like 20% of it on the first reading because there's so much to digest here. And Andrew Murray and other Christian thinkers and theologians have said that humility is literally the high watermark of all virtues. That everything that God has called us to and that he's made us for is built on humility. The same humility, Paul says, that Jesus expressed when he humbled himself, not thinking of equality with God as something to be grasped. He emptied himself, became a human being. He lowered himself in humility to his father and died even a death on the cross, the, the ultimate object of humility and shame, Jesus willingly walked it through. And so we saw in the life of Jesus that his humility was not just an intellectual idea toward God. It wasn't just a heart posture toward God. Humility must be walked out in the context of our relationship. We don't have true humility to God if it's not actually expressed and our relationships with other people. So Paul says, with all humility, that word humility in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word literally means to be bowed down or to be afflicted. And it also means to have submitted or be humble. The biblical sort of dictionary meaning of that word is lowly, undistinguished, and common. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, humility is important in establishing a proper relationship with God, with others, and with oneself. The act of bowing low to the ground expresses submissiveness. We see this often in the expression of humility in the Old Testament was expressed in bowing low uh, to God. It was bowing low to those who were in authority over you. It's often in the Old Testament how it's expressed. Jesus demonstrated his humility by submitting to the Father's will. Again, humility fleshed out and worked out in practice and in action. Jesus demonstrates humility by submitting to the Father's will, especially especially in the area of the cross as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to now take uh, this application of humility that, that I understand that you are God and I'm not, that you are great and I am low. I'm going to take that and now I'm going to walk it out and apply it to my life. This is where humility actually begins to take root in our life. Um, Jesus also expressed humility and servanthood. 
Servanthood is a primary expression of the character and nature and virtue of humility in our lives. We see this with Jesus as he's serving his disciples uh, during the Last Supper, just before he went to his crucifixion and death. We, we actually see this story where the disciples are arguing about who would be greater. God, who is going to sit on your right and your left? Who is going to come out on top? You know, the cream always rises to the top, right? And so the disciples are arguing. And up until this point, Jesus has had three disciples in his inner circle, And they've seen things that none of the other disciples had the privilege of seeing. And then he's got the rest of the 12 who have walked with Jesus for three years. And then he's got, you know, the 70 and on and on and on. And the disciples are wondering, hey, does does my inclusion in this three mean that I'm going to be exalted above, you know, the other dudes beside me and dudettes beside me? Does that, what's happening here? And Jesus kind of rebukes them. And he says, whoever wants to be greatest must become least. He must be a servant of all. And then in this act of crazy spiritual warfare and authority, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, something that was relegated to the lowest rung of servitude and slavery. It was the slave that was the lowest in the household who had the duty and responsibility to wash the feet of the guests who came in the house. And Jesus, in this powerful act of servanthood, he washes the disciples' feet. We we don't totally get that, but this was an act of spiritual warfare in the heavenly places as Jesus humbled himself, not just before his father in obedience, but humbled himself even with his peers, his disciples, even washing Judas's feet who he knew would betray him. The very man that would betray him to death on a cross, Jesus washes his feet in an act of humility. It was the act of servanthood that actually unleashed and expressed the humility of Jesus in his character and his nature. And the question for you and I today is, are we actually walking in servanthood? Do we serve those around us? Do we serve those who are hard to serve around us? Are you serving your spouse? Are you serving your children? Are you serving your coworkers? Are you serving people in our community that have different ideas and perspectives and political stripes? Are you serving those around you? We cannot say that we are walking in humility with God if we do not serve those around us. And this is the the nature of Jesus. We look in the book of Revelation chapter 5, and I've talked to you about this before, and this has been something that has, has, I've been kind of pondering and learning in little pieces for a few years now. But Revelation chapter 5, I just want to actually go there and read it with you. I didn't plan to do that, but we're going to do it anyway. Revelation chapter 5 is this incredible picture of these two realms, the spiritual realm and the natural realm. And in Revelation 5, John says, uh, John, the apostle John is having this vision and this angel appears to him in a vision. 
and uh, literally brings John in the spirit into a heavenly realm and place. So this isn't just sort of like, you know, I'm laying on the beach and I'm daydreaming about this. This is actually a spiritual um, endeavor that's happening where John is brought up into heavenly places. And he says, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. Then one of the elders, so the elders were a, a, a class of spiritual beings that God had created. So when, when the book of Revelation is referring to elders or angels or the spiritual realm, it, we're then to be alerted that we're getting a heavenly perspective on something. So John says one of the elders, meaning now I'm about to have the heavenly perspective of what I'm seeing. So one of the elders uh, said to me, do not weep, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So this elder, this spiritual being, his perspective of Jesus is as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then watch what happens. Then I saw, so John is now shifting to a human perspective. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the one of the four creatures and among the elders. The spiritual perspective and our natural perspective are often different. And when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, in a natural perspective, we see a man humbling himself, lowering himself to the level of a servant. But in the spiritual realm, this is not an act of weakness on Jesus's part. This is an act of strength and warfare. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in our lives, we often get these backwards. And we think humility before God is one thing, but the expression of life and of relationship that we have around us is often aggressive. We often, in our insecurity, want to dominate people, dominate conversations, win the argument. We want to be right about something. We want to impose our will and our desire. We, we fight and we, we wrestle with people. We, we work for um, gain and we work to elevate ourselves above people. And what the Bible teaches us is that actually we need to flip these around, that the greatest strength, the greatest act of strength is lowering yourself to serve. So in this season, we're in this pandemic globally and tensions are so high. People are operating uh, at, a, at a level of anxiety and fear that we haven't seen in a long time. There's panic. You know, I, I literally took 10 minutes and I scrolled Facebook, that was a mistake, a few days ago. And in 10 minutes, I was so overwhelmed. I literally, I felt like the world was gonna end. 
I had to shut my phone off and actually go into prayer because I was so overwhelmed. But that's just a small sliver of what people are living with every day. The question is not whether I am to assert my position or my belief or, or my judgment call on someone else, I, whether I am to assume the role of, of a, a, a dominant voice and leader and teacher, the question is, do I serve those whom I even disagree with right now? Do I serve a government that I fundamentally am struggling with how they're processing everything we're doing? What is my heart posture and position? Humility requires Servanthood, humility requires us to lower ourselves. In Paul's day, when he was writing this to the Greco-Romans of the first century, in, in first century Roman culture, humility was actually mocked and, and disregarded as something inferior. It was not a quality to be aspired to. Humility was something um, that was, was um, aggressively pushed against. The notion that you would humble yourself was deplorable to the people that Paul was writing this to. And so what Paul is saying is you will have a natural inclination and desire to live a certain way, but you actually, if you want to be humble before God, if you want to walk in authority and in power and in peace and in joy, you actually have to flip the script on what your natural inclination and desire is. And even in this season and in this time, our natural inclination and desire is to engage with people and confront them and plead our case and plead our perspective and plead for this, that, and the other thing. But what Jesus models for us and teaches us is that humility requires servanthood. We have to be willing to serve to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves, not just before God, but actually before others, before our peers, in our marriages and closest relationships. We actually need to choose to serve instead of to argue. We need to choose to serve when it doesn't benefit us. We need to humble ourselves and lay down our right to be right. We need to humble ourselves and lay down our desire to be right, our desire to be kind of elevated above someone else. That's what humility requires of us. I mean, humility has a counteracting force in our life and it's called pride. The Bible talks about pride um, through the whole scripture and in a very exhaustive way. Some of you may know a few of the verses that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The problem is that pride is a very, very difficult thing to actually recognize in ourselves and to allow the Spirit of God to deal with in us. It, it is so subversive. It's so, um, um, it's so quiet in our lives sometimes. We don't even know that it's lurking beneath the surface. So we're required to walk in humility, but we have to battle this thing called pride. I wanna give you just a, a biblical definition of that. 
So as opposed to humility, on the other hand, when God is not given his due justice in society, the inevitable outcome is an evil form of pride. So we see this in our culture. We've all been actually raised, if you are living in North American culture, we've been raised in a culture that inherently defies the leadership of God because we've elevated self. Even the very nature of the word independence We elevate and value independence, independent thought, independent life, independent choices. We've even gone to the extreme to say the way that we've been made, we can independently choose to disregard the very nature of God, the very work of God in our lives and in our bodies, the very chromosomes and DNA that he's written into us. We've elevated self to this point where we feel the right to be able to reject what God has done, reject what God has said, reject where God is leading, and elevate our own ability to determine and decide for ourselves. And the outcome of that, the the source and the root of that is actually an evil form of pride or vain conceit. And it's incompatible with the humility of Christ. It's actually classified in in Romans as one of the shameful acts of depravity to exalt ourselves, exalt our intellect, exalt our, um, our power to make choice and to determine our own steps and course. It results in foolish presumption and bragging about even the unknown future. You can read James 4, 13 to 16. And most of all, it has a demonic source. Pride is demonic in its entirety. You can look back to Isaiah 14 or um, Ezekiel and understand that Um, the Satan Lucifer, that his chief sin was pride. He wanted to elevate himself above the Most High. He wanted to be the object of worship. And this, in fact, is a deeply rooted idol in our culture, in our society. So how do we identify pride? I want to leave you with a few things today. Jonathan Edwards, uh, amazing Puritan preacher actually wrote a whole essay and he called it the undetected pride essay. And these are a few of his thoughts. They're not original to me, but these are ways that we can identify pride and begin to actually walk with an awareness and a discernment of what's happening around us. Paul is saying, look, if you're going to live out what you believe, if you're going to apply the doctrine you know, the first step is to walk with all humility. You cannot walk out the doctrine of God, the gospel of Jesus, without humility. You can't. And this is what Paul is saying. So, number one, hidden area of pride. Number one, fault finding. Pride diminishes our faults and elevates and amplifies the faults we see in others. We filter out of our own lives, our weaknesses and faults, but we filter out of other people's lives the grace and the goodness of God. 
So a key identifier of whether you are possessing pride in your heart is whether you are a fault finder, whether you easily pick out the faults in other people, but live with blindness or complicity in your own faults. Fault finding is a hidden area of pride. And we just have to, again, just examine our own lives today and, and say, God, show me, teach me, reveal to me the areas where I'm actually finding fault in other people. How I quickly dissect what's wrong with someone else, what is lacking in someone else, but fail to actually apply the same test to my own heart or life, or fail to receive the correction of those around me who see my blind spots, who see my weaknesses. Fault finding is a, a key indicator that there's pride lurking underneath. So are you busier examining the faults of others than what's happening in your own heart? Are you more preoccupied with what's wrong in someone else than your own self? Number two, a harsh or critical spirit. Pride manifests itself in uh, acts of, uh, or expressions of belittling. If you're belittling somebody, the root of that is pride. If you are speaking out of frustration or contempt or irritation or judgment, the roots of those are pride and they come from a harsh and critical spirit. Do you belittle and diminish the struggle of others? In this season, again, there's so much application. This is what I love about the Bible. There's so much application for Paul's writing 2,000 years ago to our lives today. Do you belittle those who sit on a different political spectrum than you? Do you belittle those who choose to wear a mask or not wear a mask right now? Do you belittle those who are actually walking in fear right now or are actually overwhelmed with, with fear and worry and stress and anxiety? Do you belittle them? If you are, you're walking in pride and you need to address it. Again, it's not what we think in our heart only. It's how it's expressed in our life that Paul is getting to here. And he's saying, literally, you can't walk out the gospel of God in your life if you're not going to pay attention to this kind of stuff, if you're not going to walk in humility. There's no humility toward God without humility expressed toward others. So are you critical and harsh? Are you condescending with people? What have your Facebook posts been like recently? How are you retaliating or responding to those who insult you? who belittle you, who hurt you? Are you trading eye for an eye or are you actually walking in humility and servanthood? Number three, superficial vanity. The third sort of you know, subversive act of pride in our life, superficial vanity, which can also be a lack of contentment. Are you more concerned with your reputation and what you believe others believe about you than with what's happening in your own heart and in your own life. When we're overly concerned with how we look or appear to others, we're walking in vanity and pride. Philippians 4.12 says this, Paul said this, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether abundant or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Pride will always draw attention back to self. That's the nature of pride. So in your thinking, in your thought life, in your heart, if you're always coming back to self, you're actually walking in pride. That's why humility isn't self-deprecating, self-loathing. God, I'm such a sinner. It's, humility is not focusing on sin. Humility is actually focusing on the grace and power of God's grace and majesty. It's recognizing that we are sinful from birth, but not dwelling on and, and focusing on it in a self-loathing, self-deprecating way. Do you understand that? Then all of your attention is on me. It's on myself. It's on my failure. It's on my weakness. It's on my sin. That's not humility. That's actually pride manifesting itself in a false humility. Paul is uh, saying here, guys, look, when you are so consumed with yourself, you cannot live in servanthood for other people. Pride finds its way into our hearts subversively through vanity and a lack of contentment. Are you content right now with what you have? Here's a really hard one. I, I'm asking myself this. Am I content with societal life as I know it being as frustrating as it is sometimes? Do I actually trust enough in God to go, Father, I'm, fi I'm fine. I'm going to follow you through this right now. Or is everything in me railing up in discontentment? It's a focus on self meeting my needs and my own vanity, that's actually pride at work. Number four, this is a tough one for all of us, defensiveness. Making a great deal of the oppositions, the hurt, the offense, and the injury you've experienced. Making excuses for yourself and lashing out at others when confronted. Man, this is challenging for all of us. Are you walking in defensiveness right now? When someone approaches you to say, hey, look, uh, in love, I'm seeing this going on in your life. What is your posture? If it's defensiveness, there's a root of pride at play there. Because defensiveness, again, puts the emphasis on ourself. When you make a bigger deal than necessary of how you've been unjustly treated or hurt or wounded, becomes defensiveness and carries that insidious nature of pride in us. Jesus did not make a big deal of the wounds and the scorn and the shame that he experienced. He wasn't walking through uh, on the way to the cross and saying, how dare you say that? You have no idea what you're saying. He was silent as a, a lamb who was led to slaughter. He didn't even say a word in his own defense. Can you imagine that? And yet the, the smallest thing in our life and we go off on people defending ourselves and articulating our position and our posture and, and rising up in opposition to defend ourselves. It's pride. Number five, and this is one that God has been challenging me with, it's uh, a need to be respected. Actually, that 
desire to be respected is a hunger for attention and worship in a, in a subversive and evil form. The desire and the need to be respected, to demand the respect of other people is actually pride at its root. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11 and 12, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever demands the respect of other people, whoever demands position, whoever demands honor, all of these things will be humbled. That's not the call of God for our life. Paul says, with all humility, not just humility toward God, but actually humility expressed in our relationship with others. We need to recognize uh, when we have a, a dysfunctional desire to be respected and honored, to be spoken well of, that it's actually pride that's at the root of that. First Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, in the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Pride must be uh, dealt with on the human relational level. Humility must be expressed on a human-to-human -human level. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others. Not in humility consider God. In humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Humility is lived out vertically before God and horizontally before men. This is what it means for Jesus to be the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. James 4, 10 and 11. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another. Vertical, horizontal. Psalm 8, verse 18, 12, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Pride goes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before the fall. These are all verses about our need to deal with pride and to walk in humility. There is a greater test on us right now in this time What's happening all around us, all around the world right now is placing a greater test on us, I think, than we've experienced in a long time as it relates to humility before God, but humility before man. The greatest, uh, most powerful acts of spiritual warfare in scripture were ones where man humbled himself before God and walked in humility before other men as Jesus washing his disciples' feet before he's about to be crucified. It is what we do in relation to each other that proves whether or not we have true humility in our heart toward God. So how are we doing with that? How are you doing with that today? My prayer for you and my prayer for myself, my encouragement for myself is that we would actually take time to examine our own heart before God. Examine not just our heart before God, but actually allow him to put his finger on how we've been speaking to others, how we've been interacting to and relating to those around us in our world today. The world is on fire. 
But Jesus is calling us to walk with humility and servanthood, to have compassion and grace. These are the foundational layers that Paul is starting with. So Ephesians 1 to 3, we can think of that like the transfiguration. It's the revealing of the full nature and plan and character of God. It's the guys up on the mountain where they go, whoa, Jesus, you are the son of God. Ephesians 4 to 6 is when they come down the mountain into a sin-deprived, demonic world and are challenged with how do you take what you learned on the mountain and walk it out in life. And Paul is saying humility is where we start. Let's pray. Father, we do humble ourselves before you and just declare your lordship and authority, Jesus, over our lives. But more than that, Father, we ask that you would teach us to transform that just from uh, something that we, we hold internally to something we express externally to those around us. Father, teach us to actually walk in humility to walk in mercy and in kindness. Father, teach us to recognize the subversive nature of pride, our, our need um, to be validated, our need, Father, for, to be honored and respected. Father, teach us to recognize when we're being harsh and critical, to recognize when, when we're fault-finding of other people, to recognize, Father, when we're making decisions for our own selfish interest and in vanity, teach us to recognize them, Father, so that we can actually apply, apply to our lives what you've taught us and call us to believe in you doctrinally. We just ask, Father, that you'd actually just shift us to be people of peace, to be people who don't live for our own self-interest, but live for the interests of God and others around us. Father, teach us to actually walk in that kind of humility today on the earth. And so, Father, we just ask for your grace to do that. We thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient for us today. And we ask, Father, that, that you would just lead us if we need to repair relationships and humble ourselves and reposture ourselves as servants, that you'd show us where we need to do that and with who we need to do that. Father, that we would not be just right with you, but that we would be right with others in this season, that we would walk with your power and grace and humility born through servanthood. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.